Hello and welcome to Nordea Markets Insights and to this uh, special podcast on uh, China. With me today, I have uh, Tuli Koivo. Hello. Hello, Tuli. You've just been to, to Beijing, which you will tell us about. And then, of course, uh, Trump is going to, to China. Um, and that is the whole reason for doing a, a special podcast today. But maybe if we start with uh, Trump, what uh, what should we actually expect from uh, from such a visit? Well, I think the the meeting between President uh, Xi and Trump will be extremely interesting. President Xi, of course, consolidated a lot of his powers in the party congress a couple of weeks ago, uh, while Mr. Trump has been uh, partly even aggressive towards China when it comes to, to trade policy, investment policy and so on. And on top of all of that, we have, of course, North Korea, which is very interesting uh, and, and the, the situation is difficult. So do you think like something will will come out of it will will it end with a concluding statement saying that uh, now China should work on on this or or that or is it more to sort of keep good relations Well I'm afraid that it's more the, the latter one so that the, there's not so much concrete perhaps coming out partly because of the situation in North Korea makes the discussions very complex Partly because North Korean case also uh, perhaps requires more secrecy around the discussions than than normally. If it's just about trade and investment, uh, there could be more information given to the public. But now it really might be that North Korea is like the leading topic, and then trade and investment policies are linked partly to that. But of course, I hope that that um, there is uh, at least a positive atmosphere in the meeting because the worst thing that could happen in the world economy which is in a relatively good shape now is a wave of protectionism that mm. could come out if if Trump gets frustrated with China over do you think yeah that's uh, that's something that is very easy to to agree on but do you th- I mean the thing is about North Korea are they really uh, do they really share a common interest in the, in in keeping North Korea sort of a uh, silent or at least uh, to to uh, limit them to not being more aggressive than they are now or are they actually the the two real enemies in the whole North Korea game that's what i think is is kind of difficult to uh, to 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 see but i guess given the fact that they are visiting each other or that they are meeting each other is a sign that okay they are not at least they are not that far from from each other Yes, I think they also have, uh, as you mentioned, partly common interests. Of course, it's not in in China's near the U.S. interest to have another nuclear power in the world. That's uh, one common interest. And uh, especially for China, of course, they want to have stability around the region. Everybody knows that China has still a lot of um, uh, domestic challenges and uh, I don't think they want any kind of instability next to their borders. However, there might be differences on ways how to or how the U.S. and China think the the situation in North Korea is solved. Um, China normally really very much emphasizes stability, long-term issues. Whether that now changes when they recognize that that the capabilities of North Korea um, regarding the nuclear weapon have has developed faster than they expected, that remains to be seen. Yeah. I guess you're completely right. They they don't agree on a on a solution because I think then we would probably have seen something happening already. Sure. So the solution is really where they differ. But but I guess North Korea can also uh, behave 
so badly that they just have to do something. And I guess that's the situation that they will try to prevent themselves from, from getting into because then they will either see a situation where uh, where Korea will be, be one and China will have US on its borders, which is it definitely doesn't want, or that uh, another solution which is not very very obvious that uh, that the that the US wouldn't want. So I really think the the solution is is the problem here and, and that's why I find it most likely that that it will remain a status quo more or less uh, diminishing North Korea a, a bit again uh, perhaps uh, China tightening uh, the belt just a little bit on on trade and and then North Korea will will do what they're told. Uh, maybe that's that's the solution. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, let's see. But turning to China's own issues, uh, do you think that we got any wiser from the party congress in terms of what is actually lying ahead? Because at, at least to me, a lot of the media attention has been about she consolidating power, as you also said. But for the markets, at least, it doesn't matter that much. It's more about what will he actually use that power for. So are we any wiser at all in, in that respect? And and did you learn anything in China on, on what to expect from, from that? Yeah, you are absolutely right. I think the concrete decisions regarding economic policy will come either in the Working Congress in, in December this year or even one year later. Um, often it takes more than a year to, to come up with these new policy lines and it may well be that the, that the more concrete steps are taken only in December 2018. But on the other hand, there are arguments which could um, uh, push for further reforms already beforehand. She, as you mentioned, is now very powerful, um, supporting some of the reforms. He has strong global economy in the backup up, uh, compared to the... 2012, when he started as the Chinese president, we had euro crisis here in Europe. So she couldn't really rely on global demand when it was about economic reforms in China. At the moment, perhaps that window is open. Uh, global economy is strong enough uh, to to perhaps moderate some some negative impacts if she starts reforms. However, what we know about Xi is that reforms will be not like we would perhaps like or expect them to be. Uh, nobody expects that there will be privatization or liberalization. What she is really driving for is is um, more control, uh, strong role for party, state, also more direct control from Beijing towards the provinces. That's perhaps one of the differences between Xi and the former president, Hu Jintao, who really didn't have much to say when it came to local policies and, and, and politics in the provincial level. Uh, president Xi seems to be much more powerful and willing to, to control more. So I think many people are afraid that there will be a lot of um, grassroots level policies, implementation of the regulation will probably get uh, stronger. And that is something that I heard many, many times during my China trip, that, for example, implementation of environmental regulation is now much more active than it used to be. So is, is it more that he will kind of uh, replace the role of the market economy which has been part of the of the Chinese economy, even uh, with the the communist political ideology and also the the strong party, they they have still been relying on the sort of market economy to to sort of set everything right. Is, is that what is being replaced by 
sort of real communism if if you want where where things are just decided no matter the price yeah that's a good question i think people are wondering that a lot um i think she is really taking china one step to the left Uh, he seems to pay a lot of attention to housing affordability. Uh, perhaps he could also um, increase resources for safety nets because China at the moment is using uh, very small amounts of money to pension system, healthcare, education compared to the OECD countries, for example, as a share of GDP, of course. Um, all the international institutions, for example, recommend China to invest more to these safety nets in order to decline the savings rate of Chinese households. That could uh, accelerate consumption growth in China and bring a kind of new engine for the China's growth. Mm. However, when it's about the, the market economy or privatization, I think um, Communist Party and, and Xi as a part of it, uh, they are not going to to hinder basically the, the private sector from developing. But what is probably the case for the next five years is that if something has to be fixed, if the economic development slows down, then they don't even hesitate using the tools and direct control in order to guide even the private sector stronger than, than so far mm. or, or recently. So perhaps more of what we have already seen in the past five years. I think so, yes, like uh, for the far, uh, last one year, uh, like we know it very well here in Nordea, uh, they increased a lot of capital controls. Now those controls have been relaxed partly. I expect that she is very, um, like, using those tools whenever needed. Mm. So that this kind of long-term target that has been there uh, as a principle to liberalize capital controls, that is probably uh, playing a smaller role. It's more like depending on on what will happen on, on how the economic cycles, uh, how they develop. Hmm. But, um, yeah. One of the main issues is still the, the debt levels and, and not so much on the state level, but more on the non-financial companies. And, of course, a lot of those are either state-owned or they have their debt in state-owned banks. So, in essence, probably all of it or most of it is is government debt to, to some extent. What do you think will will, will be done to to reduce the risk of some kind of uh, financial crisis or debt crisis in, in China? It could be that, that she um, tightens a little bit monetary policy. Uh, they did uh, tighten already conditions in the financial sector in the beginning of this year, but that applied mainly the flows inside the financial sector. At the same time, credit flows to the real sector have remained remained very strong and uh, debt levels compared to GDP are still rising and, and so on. But it could be that she at some point uh, tightens a little bit uh, from that perspective, but I don't expect that he will uh, slow down growth dramatically. In our baseline forecast, we still assume China to grow more than 6% in the coming years. And and the reason for that is that that for China, it's important target to double the level of GDP from 2010 until 2020. So nothing dramatic, but of course, she didn't come up with any concrete growth targets in his speech. That could be a sign that the role of growth targets as such is is 
declining. But whether that is a, a fast process, I don't think so. Or what do you think yourself? No, no, I, I completely agree. And of course, uh, it's very important to reach the, the, the target also because it's uh, she's target. But I think they can reach it in many ways, like including more R&D in, in the GDP measure or something more technical. They don't have to have the actual growth. I think they have enough control on, on the number itself. The final question, uh, the financial sector, maybe that is uh, what is most important for for a lot of the, the companies that are operating in, in China and now also to a large extent the institutional investors that have uh, been able to, to buy a bit of bonds and equities through this uh, Bond Connect and, and Equity Connect. How do you see the, the financial sector liberalization uh, play out going forward? You already said maybe it, it gets a smaller role, but but do you actually think that they they have an interest in, in stepping back some of the things that have been done already, or is it more like a slower pace of uh, of improvement? Well, regarding the the for example the foreign investments to the financial sector, there have been some rumors that People's Bank of China is preparing uh, to liberalize a little bit those investments because for foreign banks, for example, it has been very difficult to access to the Chinese sector. Partly because the Chinese banks are so big and the competition is already seems to be very harsh, uh, but partly because of the very strict limitations on those investments. And that is one area where Mr. Trump would like to China to liberalize a little bit more, open up to the foreign investments. And, um, and whether China is really preparing for that uh, remains to be seen. But it could be one way to introduce more competition. That is something that the People's Bank of China Governor Zhou has been talking about, that if they got more uh, foreign competition into the financial sector, that might improve um, quality of the of the sector. But on the other hand, China's financial sector is really big. It's, uh, for example, payment systems are perhaps uh, most advanced in the world almost. They use mobile phones for everything. So it's not an easy target for Western banks to go there. Some Western banks bought the minority shares, uh, let's say 15 years ago in, in Chinese banks, but had to sell them because they, they noticed that, that they, it was perhaps too much for their limited resources. Um, otherwise, regarding the financial sector, I expect that the state control and, and provincial level control remains very active because then that is one of the key sectors. And what I really think is that she uh, likes to have private sector entrepreneurship, but in the most important sectors that he thinks that are important for the party and state in the long term, there the role of the public sector will be very high for a long time. Completely agree. Uh, thank you very much, Julie, and thank you very much for, for listening to uh, to our podcast. And as usually, you can find all our research notes on uh, emarketsnordea.com. And uh, you can, of course, also follow, follow Tuli uh, on Twitter to uh, read our China uh, views. Have a nice day. Thank you. Bye. Bye.